Woo, I say. It's been a minute, right? When was the last time I was here? Over a year ago? Yeah. So, let me start by saying this. My entire bad. I mean, I could rattle off a list of excuses like how I was consumed with my everyday battle to maintain my sanity and keep from screaming at random strangers on the street. But who would that really benefit? I mean, let's just admit that we both said some things. Anyway, all that matters is that I'm here now and so are you. So why don't we do ourselves a favor and just act like I didn't just abandon this podcast for a long time for reasons unknown and keep it moving. Sound good? Fantastic. So, since it's been so long, I feel like I have to reintroduce myself. Cue bouncy game show music, please. I am the Biblio Geek, which basically means that I'm an avid reader, collector, teacher, and eventually writer of books. I am basically addicted to books. Really? Really, Biblio Geek? Yes, really. Like, to the tune of not pay my car note because the Toni Morrison collector's editions were released today type addicted. I mean, you know, not really exactly. That's not really exactly how it happened. I mean, it was. It was Harry Potter. But anyway, so we talk about books in here for the most part. We also talk about other things like music, movies, the Marvel comic universe, news, maybe a little sports every now and then, aliens, zombies, food, vampires, dessert toppings, birria tacos, which are probably one of my top five favorite things of all time. All things black and beautiful and whatever else is necessary for the advancement of the human race. So, first things first. How are you? Are you yet holding on to God's unchanging hand? Still running on to see what the end is going to be? Are you still trying to make 100 because 99 just won't do? I gotta say, despite everything, I'm still holding on to this rock by my fingernails as it hurls through space. Because brothers and sisters, the first quarter of 2021 has been at our necks, okay? The last two months have been absolute rubbish. And on top of that, there's this Derek Chavin. Is that how you say his name? It doesn't matter. The, The police officer who killed George Floyd. This trial which I had to turn off completely because the whole thing gives me heart palpitations. So no ma'am and no sir. I'll just be over here hoping that the jury does the right thing, but also knowing that it may end the way it usually does. So I'll just stock up on food in case the city goes up in smoke. But I guess, you know, if I was forced at gunpoint to choose a positive thing that came out of this year so far, it was... The Earth, Wind & Fire versus Isley Brothers that happened on Resurrection Sunday. I mean, come on. How blackety black, black and beautiful and educational was that? Did you get your whole life and a couple of past lives like I did? Because let me tell y'all, I came to that thing with a lifelong 
devotion to the elements, earth, wind, and fire, okay? I wanted to be in the Phoenix Horns when I was in middle school, real talk, and never played not nan, trumpet, trombone, or saxophone. Never. But somehow I had made up my mind that in my adult years, I was going to be playing in the Phoenix horn section with Earth, Wind & Fire. But God had other plans. Anyway, but the Isleys too? I mean, how many slow jam tapes and basement parties and backyard barbecues and family reunions have used their catalog as the soundtrack? The point is, we go way back. We all go way back which is why I kind of understood, hear me out, I kind of understood Steve Harvey's loud, intrusive, self-serving, time-consuming, non-sequitur rants in between all of the songs in the first half. I mean, dude was just flat out fanboying and there's really no other way to look at it. And I totally get it. I couldn't promise you that if I were in his position, I wouldn't have done the same thing. But listen, there were over 400,000 people in the room, all fanning out at the same time. Each of us being transported back to that one memory that was triggered by after the love is gone or make me say it again. So Steve wasn't the only one who was super excited to be there. Howsomever, this is Steve Harvey, y'all, comedian, game show, and pageant host, author, blah, blah, blah. And at some point, it should have dawned on him that these 400,000 plus folks weren't there to hear about how that's the way of the world was playing when he tried to shoot his shot at Bodachaline or whatever the hell he was talking about. I wasn't really listening. But we were there for Verdine's perm and pearls, okay? We were there for Phillip's dance moves, for Ralph's fatigue and overness over the whole thing. <laughs> For Ernie's guitar and for Ronald's new teeth and cat daddy beard. We were there for that. Okay. And most importantly, we were there for the music, which was woefully underrepresented due to being hijacked by Steve's raggedy trip down memory lane that literally nobody asked for. But like I said, I get it. I had a blast listening to, all, listening to all those hits though. And I was so glad that this happened while they were still alive to, uh, to be there and participate and to appreciate it. I just wish, you know, I was sad cause Maurice wasn't there. You know what I mean? And, and Maurice was like the glue of earth, wind and fire, but you know, it was beautiful. Nonetheless, I even got a, a little misty eye when I heard Maurice's voice and was really glad that they didn't play Be Ever Wonderful because, honey, that song would have curled me up in the corner. Fetal position, honey, crying, reaching out to God. I don't know. I, I mean, did they play it? Maybe they played it. Uh, you know, I don't know, because I mean, that thing was four hours long. You know, I couldn't hang with the OGs. I, I, I could not hang. I ended up going to bed because I because, you know, it was too late. I had to go to work in the morning. You know, we ain't all retired. Some of us, you know, some of us got to pay bills and stuff. But um, you know what I found interesting about it? A um, couple of things. First of all, I found it glaringly obvious that Angela Wimbush's name never came up. You know, for those of you who don't know, Ronald uh, was married to. 
Angela for nine years, during which time Angela had songwriting and production credits on five of the Isley Brothers albums, Eternal, Smooth Sailing, Mission to Please, Spend the Night, and Isley Brothers Live. And her, she was never mentioned. Her name was never mentioned. I, I, found, that, I found that remarkable. And the other thing, you know, was this hang up that Steve Harvey has against hip hop, apparently, and how he kept taking these little jabs the whole time, including his inability to get D Nice's name right. Like he couldn't. And then he kind of blew it off. It's just disrespectful. And, you know, he blew it off to, you know, that's how the old folks do it. The old folks don't ever get your name right. You know, he tried to make a joke out of it, but it wasn't funny, A. And B, it was disrespectful. It ain't got nothing to do with age, Steve. Fix it. Learn that boy's name and say it. Personally, I think D-Nice could have just done that whole thing by himself. We really didn't need no host, but that's just me. So anyway, Steve opens up with this shout out to DMX, right? Who at the time, and we'll, we'll get to DMX in a second. But at the time, DMX was in the hospital in grave condition um, after suffering a heart attack, which was allegedly caused by a drug overdose. So Steve sends well wishes and whatnot. And then at every possible opportunity, he makes these sly implications that hip hop lacks longevity, originality, imagination, etc. Okay, I'll let you have that, Steve, but it feels a whole lot like cherry picking to me. Okay, one thing that he seems to gloss over in all his loud, cigar fueled, hyper masculine adoration of these musical icons is that when hip hop was at its apex in the 90s, I mean, when nothing was touching it, okay, and all the corporate execs were trying to figure out how to cash in, groups like uh, Earth, Wind & Fire and the Isleys were quickly becoming a thing of the past, right? You know, gone was that big full band sound of the 60s, 70s, and 80s and replaced by R&B in the 90s, which was just hip hop in hard bottom shoes. Every song had an MC cameo or used a sample that was previously used in a hip hop joint. And almost every song was about meeting at a club, dancing at a club, drinking at a club, throwing money at the club or in the club, stealing some girl from her man at the club, taking her home from the club or a woman waiting at home for her man who is, you guessed it, at the club. No more horn sections. No more songs about loving yourself, each other, or the world. I mean, have you ever listened to the lyrics to Be Ever Wonderful? Child, when Maurice goes out on that, door, let the world change your mind. I throw my hands up like I'm in Greater New Bethel Temple of the Firstborn. Seriously. So anyway, back to what I was saying. Classic R&B was disappearing, right? Meanwhile, DJs and producers are sampling the OGs and yeah, there were legal ramifications, but guess what? It started an actual revival of the same classical soul and R&B music that Steve loves to tell whoever is listening that he listened to while driving his girl and his daddy's deucing a quota or whatever the hell he was talking about. And listen, there would be no Mr. Big without hip hop. And that's on old mother Hubbard or whatever that dude be saying for real. And you can quote me on that. But enough about Steve, okay? This was by far the best verses yet. And there were some good ones. I think my faves have been uh, Beanie Man versus Bounty Killer, mostly because of the police showing up and Beanie asking one of them, you sure you want to be that guy? 
And uh, of course, Snoop versus DMX was one of my favorites and Gladys versus Patty. You know, and I loved them all and loved them all for different reasons. But these versus battles are literally keeping me sane during this pandemic. I know I speak for other people when I say that. So shout out to Timbaland and Swiss Beats for thinking this up. And shout out to D-Nice, our pandemic superhero who maintained his composure throughout this whole thing, even though Steve consciously and continuously got his name wrong. So about this vaccine. I went and got my first shot a couple weeks ago to little fanfare and almost no side effects, which was a relief to me because all I could think about was the plot of basically every zombie movie ever made. You know what I mean? It starts with a scientist creating a vaccine or serum meant to solve a global health crisis for good. So everybody goes out, gets this cure, right? And usually right after that, there's this period where handfuls of people start showing symptoms. It's like those pharmaceutical commercials, you know, taking phosphofloxacin and cyanaminophate may result in loss of taste, inability to reason, disequilibrium, inability to feel pain, loss of skin pigment, loose skin and teeth, drastic unexplained weight loss, cravings for human flesh, incoherent speech and resistance to death. See your doctor if you experience any of these symptoms. Then little by little, people start to catch on that the people who took the vaccine or serum are changing and chaos ensues. Systems and structures break down and disappear. Lawlessness abounds. Bands of roving madmen form. The dead walk the earth. So yeah, I was concerned. Even when my mom went to get hers, I looked for signs, you know? I watched the news every night looking for that story about patient zero found stumbling around the morgue. There was nothing. So I went and got it. I mean, I'm, I'm kind of joking. Not really, but I went because I heard the whispers of, uh, about how vaccinations may become required uh, in order to travel, which makes me feel some type of way. But I went and got it anyway. I got family I need to see. Right. Now, don't get me wrong. I was super nervous. I was hearing about folks having life threatening symptoms, folks getting the wrong dosage, all kinds of foolishness. And to that, I have a handful of. Uh, add to that, I have a handful of pre-existing conditions. That's a whole nother Oprah show. Okay. So I was having all kinds of thoughts about having serious reactions because the vaccine, you know, conflicted with the other meds I'm on and all that. But at this time, my whole family and most of my friends were fully vaccinated and FOMO is real. Besides, I figured we could all just be zombies and just be together in our black, beautiful zombiness. If, you know, push came to shove, hovering around black spaces, biting people, grunting out random fragments of Frankie Beverly and May songs. Anyway, I got the first dose, no symptoms other than a sore arm the next day. I'm thinking this isn't bad. You know, this is not, it's not so bad, but everybody is telling me that the second dose is the one I need to be worried about. Almost everyone I know has had some kind of reaction to the second one from severe fatigue to aching joints. So I'll let y'all know when I finally get my second dose, keep your fingers crossed and stay prayed up, honey. Anyway, the truth is this. I wasn't one of those people who was for vaccinations. Really, I wasn't. And for good reasons. I mean, I didn't trust the medical field like many other black and brown folks for good reason. Like I said, okay, I'm not going to go into the history. Y'all can look that up. That's what Google's for. But, you know, when this vaccine first came out, I was flat out against it. I was like, nope, 
mm-mm, it took, it, it, it happened too fast. And, you know, same kind of concerns that I'm hearing from other people. So what happened? Right. What happened? What changed my mind? Well, it was a couple of things. Number one, some people who were very close to me had COVID and got scary sick. Okay. I'm not talking about, oh, I got a runny nose and a scratchy throat. I'm talking about, I can't breathe at all. I can't taste any food. I can't smell and I can't lift my hand up to brush my own teeth. All right. I didn't want any of that. Second, some people who were close to me died from this disease. And let me tell you, it happened fast. I'm talking about from the time they were diagnosed or they tested and came up positive to the time they died very, very quickly. Okay. One day they were posting on Facebook a week later, gone. And I know, you know, I know in my rational mind that not everyone who gets COVID is either hospitalized or dies, but it only takes one friend to die to get me to change my mind. You know what I mean? So any rate, vaccinated or not, I'm still going to keep wearing this mask and staying away from most of y'all anyway, which is what I did before the pandemic even started. I'm housebound. So it is official. In case you didn't know, DMX has died, leaving us with only memories of his tortured prayers, his barking, his violent and misogynistic lyrics. Is it, is it too soon? Is it too soon for me to talk about that? Is it too soon? I don't think so. Okay. I don't think so. Here's the thing. I am devastated by his death. Like a lot of you, I wanted him to win. Finally, I wanted him to come out of this one last time with a testimony and new music. But honestly, my relationship to his music was complicated. I loved his anthems. Okay. Uh, I found release in some of his angriest, most violent lyrics, because what did James Baldwin say? I'm paraphrasing, but he said something like being black in this country is to be in a rage almost all the time. So some of those lyrics, while I never acted them out, I understood. Okay. Howsomever, there were some lyrics that made my head hurt and some that made me sick to my stomach just disgusted me. Okay. I wanted him though, to live long enough to reconsider the things he wrote long enough for him to get the help he was entitled to and to mend his life and his relationships. You know, I keep thinking about that time that he was on Ayala fix my life. Did you all see that episode? Chow, it was a mess. I mean, other than the fact that Ayala probably shouldn't have taken on DMX's situation because it wasn't going to be fixed by her holding him on her lap and rocking him. There were so many issues, you know, his family relationships, his drug use, anger management, you name it. And during the whole show, X was defensive. He was combative and almost certainly he was hiding the mug. Okay, the show ended with his relationship with his son in worse shape than before and DMX in a fragile, precarious mental state. It was disastrous, okay? But that's neither here nor there. Despite all that, despite all the misogyny and puffed up bravado, I think many people, myself included, recognized that there was some hope there. He was nowhere near recovered 
But those of us who listened to his music wanted him to find help and begin the journey. We wanted to see him healed. Just think, how dynamic was the personality that created anthems, hip hop anthems that had people yelling as far away as Australia for decades? And that was the broken version of the man. Okay? Imagine just, wow. And, you know, I think what hurts the most is that for a while it looked like he was on his way. Like just last summer, X did his verses with Snoop Dogg, which I mentioned earlier. He was heavier and slower, but the fire was still there. Personally, I was glad to see this version of him. He seemed on his way to well. So his death was tragic to me. Even still, I hoped for a recovery when he was laying in the hospital. I still hoped because it felt like he was trying to mend his life and it just seems so unfair for him to just get to get started, you know, towards fixing things and then for him to die and not be able to complete the work. It, it just felt tragic to me. My only hope is that the people he left behind are able to navigate around the hole he left because there is definitely a vacuum where DMX once stood, you know? Before I go, I want to take a moment to remember a friend who passed away. Uh, her name is Drew. And she was married to my childhood friend. I had only known her for a couple of years, but in that short time, she managed to make, I'm going to try and say this without crying. She managed to make an impression on me for a few reasons, for a few reasons. Um, she was one of the kindest most generous people I've ever met. She was always smiling, always friendly, and had the greatest laugh. And she loved my friend. Loved. You hear me? And from the numbers of folks at her memorial service, she was beloved. Drew was proud of her Native American heritage, and throughout her life, she worked for and supported her community. She was a light that drew us to her for its warmth. And I'm grateful to have known her even for the short time I did. Her memorial service was beautiful and the traditional drumming and singing broke me and healed me at the same time. To JDL, we're here. Whenever you need us, we'll be checking on you. Believe that, okay? We love you. Uh, one of my favorite writers, her name is Anne Lamott. If you've ever, if you've never read anything by her, please, please check her out. She's amazing. Um, she wrote about losing a loved one. She says, the bad news is that you never completely get over the loss of your beloved, but this is also the good news. They live forever in your broken heart that doesn't seal back up and you come through. It's like having a broken leg that never heals perfectly, that still hurts when the weather gets cold, but you learn to dance with the limp. That's all I have for now. I'm gonna go and rest up and get my mind right to return back to the grind tomorrow morning. Okay, so y'all take care of yourselves, love each other, check in with your friends and family, and like my dad says, Lord willing and the creek don't rise. 
I'll be back next week. Love y'all.